0: You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, as they discuss all things ORAU through interviews with our experts who provide innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, how we're impacting an ever-changing world, and our commitment to our community. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast.
1: Welcome to the very first episode. I'm very excited about this. The very first episode of Further Together, the ORU Podcast. I'm Michael. This is my coworker, Jenna. Good
2: morning. We are excited to be here today. This is a new adventure.
1: It's a new adventure. It's going to be a great show. It is. Because we have one of our favorite people, Uh Jeff Miller here, to talk about nuclear safety culture. And Jeff, just to get us started, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me. It's yeah. an
0: adventure is correct. Every day's an adventure here <laughs> at OREU. Uh, I'm a senior scientist in the health, energy, and environment uh, organization. And so my background is in public health and industrial hygiene and epidemiology. And uh, I do primarily occupational exposure and worker health studies here at OREU.
2: How long have you been here? Six years. Okay. All
0: right. Before that, I spent, uh, gosh, I started out in public health agencies mm-hmm. and uh, worked there for about 10 years early in my career, went into the private sector and worked for a variety of uh, large engineering firms, consulting firms, um, owned my own business, had uh, did that for about 10 years, and then uh, went back to school and got my PhD and after that came here to join ORAU.
2: Well, awesome. so we're lucky to have you.
1: We're lucky to have you, what mm-hmm. a journey. Um, We've been talking a lot lately. At least I feel like you and I have been talking yeah. a lot lately about nuclear safety culture and sort of the difference between nuclear safety culture and safety culture in general. Help help our listeners understand what that is and kind of what the differences are.
0: Yes, um, so so there is a distinction between nuclear safety culture and safety culture, and it, it's to to most people it would be a subtle difference, but. Uh, it, it's important because in the, in the nuclear industry, and I'm talking about nuclear power plants and the nuclear weapons complex, uh, it's, that's about nuclear facilities. And do they have a work environment where safety is the overriding concern? I mean, clearly in those types of operations, if, if you make a mistake, the event could be catastrophic. So you have to avoid that. And you really have to focus on making safety an overriding concern so that uh, schedule and production don't take priority or precedent over safety. So we say nuclear Mm -hmm. safety culture when we're talking about the nuclear industry. In other parts of of industry, uh, could be chemical manufacturing, just manufacturing in general. It's just called safety culture. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's the distinction between the two. Okay. The principles are essentially the same. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit different spin on it, and a, a little bit different emphasis when you're in the nuclear space. One's a little more.
1: One's a little more public safety facing. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I think, and and this is where we specialize. Is we specialize in providing safety culture and nuclear safety culture services to. Uh, organizations where there are really high consequences. Mm-hmm. So these are high hazard industries where they're doing critical work and if they make a mistake, it's gonna be a very bad day for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, that's different than if you work for Google. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, yeah. Or someplace else that, you know, retail manufacturing. Now they can have their problems, but if you had a nuclear event, you know, that's that's a very bad day. Yeah.
2: Right. Talk to us a little bit about the services that you do provide? And, and maybe let's focus on mm-hmm. the, the nuclear safety side of things. Um,
0: yes. Um, well, we've developed a, a niche capability to evaluate nuclear safety culture. Uh, and, and essentially what that boils down to is we have developed methods where we reach out to the workforce and we ask them, to provide us their perceptions, their opinions about how things are going in the organization, specifically as it relates to nuclear safety culture. So there's several different dimensions that we ask them questions about, but we'll get that information from them through a series of methods. We do uh, a survey. So we developed a valid and reliable survey instrument. Uh, We do focus groups, small facilitated discussions with eight to 10 people about nuclear safety culture. We'll do in-depth interviews with managers and get their opinions. So we collect data from all of those sources and, and collect that and analyze it and interpret it and then provide feedback to the senior leaders in those organizations that basically says, here's what your workforce is
1: telling you about safety culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a difference, I know we've been talking about this with you before, there's a difference between what the employees see and what managers see <laughs> in safety culture, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: and, and that's that's very consistent, and I call it mind the gap. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and, and the point of that is that is that there is a gap between the perceptions of managers and the people that work for them. Mm-hmm. So um, and it's not a question of whether there'll be a gap, it's a question of what's the magnitude of the gap. The gap is is that managers always have a little a more positive perception of nuclear safety culture than the people that work for them. Well, there's a n- number of explanations for that. The easiest one is, it's there's some bias interjected because essentially, when a manager is providing feedback, it's like grading your own paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so they provide feedback, and and collectively, when you look at you know dozens and hundreds of managers, you get this average perception, and it's you know it can be fairly positive. Uh, when employees eva- are evaluating managers and leadership behaviors and, uh, and decision making and things like that, their um, their response is much more tempered. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the gap. And what what I tell managers is is just be aware that it's there. It, it's there. Understand that if you're feeling really good about something the workforce is probably saying, yeah, it's okay. (laughs) And and if you're feeling bad about something, the workforce is probably feeling really bad about that. So so it's a sliding scale. Um, And what's interesting though is where sometimes you'll see agreement on specific things where the managers and the workforce are really closely aligned and they agree that this is either good or this is bad. That's something really important to understand.
1: Does that happen a lot? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay. It,
0: it's occasional. Okay. Um, usually, um, in, in the best organizations, we'll see that gap is a pretty thin line. Okay. It's, you know, the 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 curve of the data will look similar. There will just be a slight gap. And sometimes those the, the lines will touch. Mm-hmm. In other organizations where there's more variability, you'll see, it's like a sawtooth. <laughs> you'll, you'll see big gaps and a little gaps right. and another big gap. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit more difficult to interpret
1: but. Okay. Is, is your goal in a case like that then to, to narrow that gap? To basically educate both sides about where safety culture really is or yeah. help, them, help them with their internal assessment? I, I think what we, we could help with
0: is help them, uh, first of all, understand where the gaps are because it's not uniform. It's not, it's rare that it would be uniform. Understand the specific uh, traits of their organization, where there is a gap, why that gap exists. So, and those usually uh, are best described by specific examples. Uh, you, you know, to managers, when you did this, okay. employees interpreted it this way. Uh, so, give them examples that have contributed to that gap. And then we, we always try to provide actionable recommendations. Here are some things that you should consider that might help you close that gap. Okay. And those recommendations are really based upon our experience in evaluating dozens and dozens of organizations. Mm-hmm. And we talk to these these organizations and we find out what has worked, what's worked, what's not worked. Mm-hmm. And then we take those examples and we'll provide it to one of our customers and say, "Here's three things people have tried." Now, do any of these seem like they would fit in your organization? Okay.
2: So do you provide um, follow-up studies then to see, I don't know, two, three years down the road to see if you know that maybe those peaks and valleys have changed or those lines have come back together? Do people usually reach out and say, okay, let's do this again and see if we've been successful?
0: Yeah, that, that, that's the most common approach is you first want to understand where you're at. So what is the baseline? Where are we at right now? And using the, the metrics, the methods that we use, you can establish that baseline. And then typically it's about two years, sometimes three, sometimes one, but most, most organizations will reevaluate about every two years simply because things will not change overnight. It's going to take some time, and if you have developed some type of an intervention, you need to give it some time to be implemented, and then for it to take effect before you remeasure it. Right. So, mm-hmm. so we'll look at it over time, and and most of our business is repeat business, where mm-hmm. we go back. I, we've been to some organizations five, six, seven times, yeah. and, and 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 those situations you can really see the patterns. Yeah, you can see how certain events, you know, either world events or local events in, in that organization have created changes in the organization, some in a good way, some in a bad way. Mm-hmm. But, but then the management team can, can see the impact. We did this and here was the impact. That helps them understand whether the things that they're doing are having the desired impact.
2: Great. So, going back to businesses, five or six times, you've talked to a lot of
1: people. <laughs> oh. Yeah, yeah, thousands. I think, I think thirty thousand.
2: Thirty yeah. thousand. That's time. true. That's true. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, we uh, we wrote a paper um, about a year ago or so that really summarized everything that we had learned from our discussions with uh, th- over thirty thousand people in the nuclear industry. Mm-hmm. So. That's a lot of people. And let me be clear: we didn't talk to every single one. It, <laughs> it felt like we talked to every yeah. single one, but but we, we 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 conducted a survey that included all thirty thousand people, and actually. It's since it's now it's about thirty five thousand. So it it continues to grow. So we've we've surveyed that surveyed that many people. We've also conducted focus groups with over a thousand people and one on one in depth interviews with over one hundred and fifty managers. So that's a lot of people Mm -hmm. and a lot of data to collect. Definitely and. you know, and those are, you know, so I thought it would be interesting to communicate that to industry is, here's a broad cross section, so what are the what are the themes that mm-hmm. we got out of that?
2: And those themes in that paper can be found on our website, <laughs> it right? They can be found on the website, yeah.
1: <laughs> at oru.org. You can also learn about um, one of my favorite tools that you talk about in your presentation is the blue cube. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> it kind of is an easy easy way to put together the, the dimensions of what makes a satisfied, happy, you know, safety culturally aware employee, right? Yeah,
0: it, it, and it's, uh, it's, it really was the, the evolution of, of, of a lot of what we've done. And, uh, so we have all this empirical data, you know, the data that we've collected out in the field and what, you know, what are the things that we saw consistently over time across all of those organizations? And we, we took that information and tried to make sense of it all mm-hmm. and distilled it down really into five dimensions um, and I call it the, the, the five dimensions of a respectful work environment. Okay, or the Blue Cube, you know, that's right. a, such a creative <laughs> name. <laughs> you know, but that's all we could come up with, you know? so. But people know what it is. Yeah. It, it is, it's very tangible. Um, and, and it's a tool that, that I use uh, with managers. Uh, and anytime people come and ask me to talk about nuclear safety culture, I'll, I'll bring the Blue Cube and I'll hand it out and I'll give it to people. I did this just again last week and i use it I, I have it right on my desk in front of my computer monitors and what it talks about are the five dimensions uh that as as i mentioned and and then in my presentation it's what's the evidence that shows this is true mm-hmm. so so the, the the five dimensions are um and i'll, I'll Cover these fairly quickly because yeah. I know it's a lot to a lot to go through but one is that people want a sense of stability mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so th- that is they um, you know there's change all around us sure. and it's it's gonna happen but some people are able to handle that better than others mm-hmm. but the workforce wants a sense of, a sense of stability and so they want management to just tell us just tell us what's going on so that's, and, and so when people don't have that sense of stability, it creates, uh, it, it creates a sense, uh, a, a lower perception of nuclear safety culture. So that, that's one of the dimensions. Uh, another one is, is, is that people wanna be respected. Absolutely. You wanna feel like that your management teams respects what you do. Mm-hmm. They know what your contribution is and they're gonna ask your opinion and, and your opinion matters. And when people feel disrespected, that contributes to an unhealthy work environment. People want to, to also to have a sense of fairness, that when decisions are made, when things occur, that they're being treated fairly. So that's, that's such, it's very basic. But we found our evidence showed that when people felt like they were being treated unfairly, they had very low perceptions of safety culture. The fourth is people wanna be recognized as an individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, they want management to know that I make a contribution. I do things that contribute to the overall growth. I may I may not be the superstar, I may be somewhere in the middle or somewhere in the bottom of the organization, but everybody makes a contribution and they wanna be recognized for that. And then the last thing, the fifth one is, is that people, they want to make a difference. You know, they, they want to know that, they go to work for a reason, you know, and, and that is is that they wanna to contribute to the overall mission. So people need to understand the mission and how they contribute, and they want management to recognize that they're making a contribution to that mission. So those are the, the five dimensions of the Blue Cube, and that's all supported by the data that we collected right. from those 30,000 plus people.
1: Yeah. That's great. Well, and, and you present the, th- the Blue Cube as essentially a stress ball. Shaped like a cube, <laughs> right? Yeah. So if people want their own blue cube, what do they need to do?
0: Well, I, I you can go to our website, www.orau.org, and um, you'll find my contact information. You can send me a, a note and we'll, we'll mail one to you. Awesome. Um, right. So it's, it's it's the blue cube is more than a stress ball. Right. <laughs> so, so it's a oh, good boy. conversation piece, yeah. Uh, and I think it's one of those trinkets that people will hang on to. Uh, compared to other trinkets that get tossed in the trash. Yeah. I know,
1: I see them kind of all over the company, yeah. So, yeah. so people have them, for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, you mentioned in passing a minute ago, kind of world events. Um, we're living in a world of, you know, Fukushima's and Three Mile Island is possibly maybe closing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know um, nuclear plants are being decommissioned, Um, and then we have Chernobyl, and HBO has this, you know, great docudrama-ish series on um, Chernobyl. Talk a little bit about kind of the impact on all of that from a nuclear safety culture perspective.
0: Well, we're at a really interesting point uh, in the United States when it comes to nuclear power. And first of all, I I am pro-nuclear power. Let's just be clear about that. Um, But about 50% of the population feels that nuclear energy is part of the solution to global warming. Right. And about 50% of our population thinks that we ought to be out of the nuclear power business and, there, and we ought to be going to strictly solar and wind power and other sources of renewable energy. I, I think the reality is, is in our energy policy for decades has been, is it's multifaceted. And nuclear energy is a portion of that, okay? So, and if you look at the nuclear, uh, power industry the, the safety record is phenomenal it really uh, co- along with the uh commercial airline industry those are two of the industries that i point to that if somebody wants to understand uh, a, a really uh, safe environment across an entire industry those are the two that i point to okay. So, so that that's really important, but in in the United States, in the nuclear power industry, we're at this point where we're really not building new nuclear plants. We've got one under construction, but other than that, we've got a lot of aging infrastructure that are, and these plants are scheduled to be decommissioned. Now we've got some new technologies that have been developed for small modular reactors and things like that, that I'm hopeful will replace some of that aging technology. Um, and. So, so it's really, it's a, it's a transition point uh, for the industry. Um, and, and I just hope that, uh, that we, you know, continue to rely on nuclear energy as a, a source of carbon-free energy, you know, for the years to come. And I think right now it's, nuclear is somewhere 25, 30% of the total energy that we use this comes from commercial nuclear power. And I think it's probably always gonna stay uh, around that Uh, that percentage, Um, but that means we have to have a robust nuclear power industry and that's where we come in is, you know, they've established a really strong track record of nuclear safety culture and we want to help them maintain that over the long haul.
1: Awesome. we talked about this briefly before we got started, talk about Chernobyl, and I know your, your son has been there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not an expert on Chernobyl. Sure, I, I, sure. I, I have watched the trailer to the HBO series, <laughs> yeah. and I, I, I am gonna binge watch that yeah. very soon. I haven't started yet, but uh, uh, it, it does look fascinating. In my business, in you know, if you're in the occupational safety and health business, you know about Chernobyl, (laughs) I mean, it is a a sentinel event that occurred um, that that had worldwide implications and and actually that's really where the concept of nuclear safety culture got started. Okay. Um, You could argue it was at Three Mile Island before that but I think Chernobyl was really where, when you look at the, the causal analysis, you look at the environment that was created around that, where it was, it was largely management was suppressing the raising of safety concerns. Mm-hmm. So people were bringing concerns about the design of the, of the plant, of the reactor, uh, things that were occurring that were making it less and less safe, and those were being suppressed and ultimately you know, we all know that resulted in a catastrophe. Right. And one of the principles of, of a nuclear safety culture, a healthy nuclear safety culture, is that people feel free to raise safety concerns so that they can be, a, be addressed. And that's what we need and we, we have to have that. People have to be able to raise a concern and, and get it vetted. Is this a problem or is it not a problem? We want to know early. We don't want to wait till too late, right. yeah. and that didn't happen at Chernobyl. Okay. And I, the, from what I have seen, there, you know, there may be some glimpses of that. I'm sure it's going to be highly dramatic. <laughs> of course, of course. we'll all have to kind of look at it. And this is television. <laughs> yeah. great but assault, uh, you know. But uh, that, you know, that that's really one of the lessons out of that is is you have to create an environment where anyone that observes something that is a safety concern can raise that without fear of retaliation. Sure.
2: Sure, now Jeff, you travel a lot, um, I know you do a lot of presentations, talk to us a little bit about what you have uh, coming up here in the near future.
0: I do have some travel <laughs> coming up. Uh, I have a couple, two, two conferences coming up, um, uh, the American Industrial Hygiene Conference and Exhibition in Minneapolis, um, and that's a professional, the American Industrial Hygiene Association that I've been a member of for uh, my entire career. And uh, so I go to that every year and we have a paper with Dr. Ashley Gold and Mm -hmm. and, uh, and myself and Sarah Howard and some others on some work we did related to beryllium exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have that coming up. and and then following that we will be at the Nuclear Energy Assembly in Washington DC in June, sponsored by the Nuclear Energy Institute. And that's where thought leaders from across the nuclear power industry will come together to really talk about the future of nuclear power
1: uh, in the United States and across the globe. Great, yeah. that's exciting. That is exciting. We'll have a presence at both of those events. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so look for ORU. And we will or- have the Blue
0: Cube there. <laughs> yeah. So oh. you can, you can, if you want your Find own Blue Jeff. Cube, you can, you, you, you can come
1: by the booth and we'll have, uh, have those available. Great. Excellent. Um, Jeff, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, uh,
0: probably um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, <laughs> Jeffrey uh, R. Miller, PhD, uh, on uh, on LinkedIn. Feel free to uh, send me a message there or connect with me that way. Um, on Twitter, Jeff Miller, CIH, uh, uh, at Jeff Miller, CIH on Twitter. Um, my email address is always good. Jeff, J-E-F-F dot Miller at O-R-A-U dot O-R-G. And that's available on our website also. So you can go there and connect directly to me.
2: Yeah.
0: Excellent.
1: Well, thank you so much. Yeah.
2: We enjoyed having you. Spending
1: a few minutes with us. My pleasure. All right. Have a good day. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Further Together,
0: the O-R-A-U podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at O-R-A-U and on Instagram at O-R-A-U together.